You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Second Kings, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. Lord, these aren't just words on a page which mean things, but Lord, we know that behind these words, as they are the words of God, they are endowed with power. Lord, and they are full of power and they have, they, they do work in us as we hear them. So Lord, we ask, do that full work in us. We want to receive everything that you have to speak to us this morning. So Lord, give us hearing hearts. And Lord, help us to take these words and respond in faith and to put them into practice. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If God really loves us, then why does he let bad things happen to us? Or how about this one? If God could prevent bad things from happening, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he prevent bad things from happening if he could? These are the kind of questions that many of us ask, aren't they, as we go about our lives in this world. And the reason is because, on the one hand, life is incredibly beautiful, isn't it? I mean, there, there's so much to experience. There's so much to enjoy. There's so many exciting things to try out, right? And there's so, so many adventures to be had. There's love. There's laughter to experience and be part of. But on the other hand, not everything in life is beautiful, is it? Along with love and laughter, there are also tears. There are also sorrows. Sometimes we have desires that go unfulfilled for our entire lives. Sometimes we have good things, and those good things are taken away from us. I used to have really good hair. You guys, you guys would have really liked it. I have some pictures, thankfully, and I'd be happy to show them to you at some point. But uh, the fact is, look, if you live long enough, all of us, if you live long enough, not only will you lose your hair, you will literally lose everything you've ever had. You will, if you live long enough. Think about it. You will lose your pets. You'll lose your stuff. You will lose your health. You will lose your friends and loved ones if you live long enough. You will lose literally everything if you live long enough. And you have to wonder, don't you, is this all that life is? Right? All this work, all this toil, all this suffering, just so we can have a few good moments? just so we can have a few laughs, a few brief glimpses, a few tastes of something good and beautiful? Is that all this is? Or is there something more? Could it be that the beautiful things, the beautiful moments that we experience, they actually point us to something else? They point us to something bigger, something beyond this world, something that lasts. Today in 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to look at a story, which is a very human story. It's a story of joy and beauty and love, but it's also a story that is mixed with suffering and loss. And as we look at this story, we're going to see that it points us to something which gives us an incredible hope and a hope that changes everything. Because here's what it shows us. It shows us that suffering and death do not have to have the last word in your life. Suffering and death don't have to get the final word for you. And because of Jesus, the good things you experience in this life, they can actually be previews of coming attractions. Let's look at this. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 37. And here's kind of our big idea for this sermon. Here's what we're going to see in this section. This is our sentence that we're going to use as we study this passage today. Our lives are on earth are tainted 
by barrenness and death. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has brought us the cure for the curse. Let me say that one more time. Feel free to write that down. Take a photo of that. Uh, make it in your notes. You know, this is what we're talking about today. Later on today, someone's going to ask you, what did you talk about at church? And you're going to be able to tell them this. Our lives on earth are tainted by barrenness and death. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has brought us the cure for the curse. So we'll take that sentence and we'll break it down as we study this passage. Let's get dive right in. Verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 4. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there and eat some food. Elisha was a prophet. Now the prophets in Israel at this time, they were like the pastors of the people. You know, the priests at this time, their ministry was centered in and focused and really just staying in Jerusalem at the temple, dealing with all the things regarding the temple. That's where the priests stayed and were focused. They didn't move around. The prophets, on the other hand, were different. They were like the pastors of the people. They were out amongst the people. They spoke the word of God to the people and they shepherded their hearts towards the Lord. And so because of that, Elisha, as a prophet, meant that he did a lot of traveling. He did a lot of moving around, going all over that northern kingdom of Israel. And so we read that there was this wealthy woman who lived in the town of Shunem. It's in the Jezreel Valley, which is, you know, a place where Elisha would have had to pass through this valley often as he, you know, went all over it, all over northern Israel. And so as he's passing through there, there's this woman who always invites him in, shows him hospitality whenever he passes through her town. Look at what it says in verse 9. And she said to her husband, so we know that she's married, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. What this woman is suggesting to her husband is that they build an apartment for Elisha to stay in whenever he's traveling, right? So they're, they're going to build a permanent addition onto their house so that Elisha will have, you know, a place to stay whenever he's passing through. And they did. Look at verse 11. One day Elisha came there and he turned into this chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him and he said to him, now say to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it? What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she said, I dwell among my own people. So here's what's happening. Elisha is blessed by this woman's generosity, right? He's blown away that she would just do this for him out of her own initiative. She obviously doesn't need money. And he, he's wondering, what can I do to bless this woman? She doesn't need money. And not that Elisha even had any money to give her. So Elisha's trying to think of something that he can do as a prophet to express his gratitude and his thanks for her generosity and kindness. So he offers a few things. He says, well, I could put in a good word for you to the king. Or, or I could ask the commander of the army, you know, to give you special protection. And, and the woman says, you know, that's nice of you to offer these things, but honestly, I'm good. I have everything I need. Uh, I, all my needs are met. I don't really need anything. It's a kind of question, right? What do you give to the person who already has everything? But Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he says this in verse 14. He says, well, look, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what this woman needs, but I do know one thing. This woman has never had a child. Her and her husband have never been able to have children. 
Now, in the ancient world, to be barren, which means that you were not able to have children, uh, that was considered one of the worst possible fates that could ever happen to a person. In some ways, it was considered a fate worse than death. Because unlike our culture, which is very individualistic, right? We live in perhaps the most individualistic culture which has ever existed in the history of the world. But in contrast to our individualistic culture, the ancient cultures and many, many non-Western cultures today are completely centered around the family. And what that means is not just that they like family and family's good. What it means is that your entire identity, your entire value as a person is not as an individual. Your value as a person has to do with your family and, and your place in the family, your ability to produce a family. So to not be able to have children, this was considered uh, really one of the worst possible things that could ever happen to a person. Let me give you some examples that illustrate this here in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, there's a woman named Rachel who was unable to have children. At one point, Rachel says to her husband, give me children lest I die. Here's what she's saying. I would rather die than live as a childless woman. I would rather die than live without children. Here's another example. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read about a woman named Hannah who was also unable to have children. And we read there that other people would harass her about it. They would mock her. They would torment her. And as a result of both her disappointment over not being able to have children and the harassing that she got from other people, it says that for days she would go without eating and she would just weep for days. Guys, having kids in this time and in this culture was a really big deal. In the ancient world, it wasn't only just a source of frustration and disappointment. Many people, if you were unable to have children, they would look at you and they would say, you must be cursed, right? In other words, you must have some skeletons in your closet. You must have done some really bad things to be able to, to deserve this kind of fate because they, they considered it really bad, right? They said, the gods must be punishing you for something that you did, and that's why you're not able to have children. Now, of course, that wasn't true, but that's how people thought. And it's kind of like how people think a lot of times today. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, uh, the universe is paying you back for something you did, or it's karma in some sort of way, right? We still have this same kind of thinking ingrained in our culture. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, we see an example of this kind of thinking. Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they walk past a man who was born blind. And the disciples turn to Jesus, and they ask him, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was, was he made blind because he did something wrong? Or was he made blind because his parents did something wrong? You see, what they assume, just like many people today, is that if something bad happens to you, it must be some sort of punishment from God, right? So you must have done something to deserve this. This bad thing is somehow punishment or payback for something that you did. That's why when bad things happen, we sometimes have these thoughts, don't we? And we sometimes say them out loud. What did I do to deserve this? Right? Or on the other hand, though, when something bad happens to somebody you don't like, what do we say? Well, they got what was coming to them, right? In other words, we're still operating in that mode of thinking. See, when Jesus, when they saw this, when the disciples asked this question, here's how Jesus responded. He said, no, that's not how it works. This man wasn't born blind because of anything that he did wrong. He wasn't born blind because of something that his parents did wrong. This wasn't a punishment for something that somebody did wrong. Rather, this man's blindness was the result of something else. It was the result of something which touches 
all of our lives at different times and in different ways, but it touches all of our lives for sure. This woman who was born barren, very much like, like the man who was born blind, her barrenness wasn't the result of a punishment. It was the result of something which touches all of our lives. And you can imagine just how her inability to have children, it must have been an incredible source of frustration in her life. It must have been an incredible source of disappointment in her life. She must have questioned herself as a woman. She must have questioned herself as a wife, not being able to provide an heir for her husband to carry on the family name. They're wealthy. Who's going to inherit these things that they've worked for? And yet, in spite of this, it's so interesting that we see that this woman was content, wasn't she? When Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? What can I give you that would be a blessing to you? She said, you know what? I'm content. I really have everything I need. In spite of her barrenness, we also see that this woman loved and followed the Lord. She served the Lord. She didn't curse God. She didn't give God an ultimatum. How many of you guys have ever found yourself doing that, right? God, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do here right now, then I'm not going to worship you anymore. Guys, that never works, by the way. God doesn't negotiate with terrorists, so, so don't act like one, okay, because it's not going to work. But listen, in spite of her barren condition, this woman loved the Lord, and she served the Lord, and that, that's why she's serving the Lord by serving Elijah. And so her barrenness, understand, it was not a punishment from God. It was not a curse from God. Rather, it was the result of something which touches all of our lives in one form or another. It's something which the Bible calls the curse of sin and death, the curse of sin and death. And it's something which, without, without uh, exception, affects all of our lives every single day. You know, when God created the world, he didn't create a messed up, broken world. When God created human beings, he didn't create us as messed up, broken people. But what happened is that something foreign, something foreign entered into God's good creation. People who were created in the image of God rebelled against God. And as a result, the order of God's good creation was broken. And we brought upon ourselves a curse. It's kind of like software, right? If you get in there and you start messing with the code, well, it might still work on some level. It might still operate in many ways, but there are going to be glitches. There are going to be things that don't work the way that they were originally designed to work, the, re the way that they were supposed to work. And something very similar has happened to us. See, as a result of this curse, this is what's happened. Foreign things have entered into God's good creation. Sickness and death entered into the world. Evil entered into the world, right? Hatred, envy, cruelty, these things which were not part of God's original design. Every part of the creation was affected by this curse, including us. As a result, understand, it's not just that evil exists out there in the world. It's not just that there are some bad people out there in the world. Friends, understand what this means, this curse. It means that evil has gotten its claws even into us, even into our very hearts. It is bound up within every one of us. Our bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to. Our minds don't work the way they're supposed to. We grow cancers. We get disorders. And eventually, we die. This curse, you know, it hangs over our lives like a dark cloud on the horizon. And here's how the Bible describes it. Think about this. It says this in Proverbs 30. It says, The leech has two daughters. Give and give. 
Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Barrenness is a result of the curse. It speaks of deep, unfulfilled longing. It speaks of brokenness and disappointment. And friends, all of us have experienced those things in our lives, haven't we? We, we all do. We face them. We deal with them every single day in different forms. Life is beautiful, without a doubt. This world is good. You know that, right? It was created by God as good, and it's still good. But understand, it's tainted. It's tainted, and we feel it. We experience it every single day in different ways. But I want you to check out what happens with this woman in verse 16. It says, Elisha said to her, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. She's basically saying, this, no way. This is not possible. It's too good to be true. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Amazing, right? An incredible gift, a miracle. You know, whenever Jesus did a miracle, his miracles, you know what they were? They were always previews of heaven. Do you ever think about that? Jesus' miracles, they were always previews of heaven. Every miracle that Jesus did, it was a glimpse, it was a window, it was a manifestation, a taste of the kingdom of God come to earth. You see, in God's kingdom, there is no more sickness. Our bodies will no longer be broken. And so the healing of this woman, it's a manifestation of God's kingdom here on earth. Now, if the story was to end here, we would, uh, we would be glad, right? Like the, the camera would fade out. Here's this woman sitting in a rocking chair holding her baby. And we'd say, wow, that's cool, awesome, happily ever after the end. But this isn't the end of the story. Look at what happens. And this brings us to the next part of our sentence, which is our lives here on earth are tainted by barrenness. They're also tainted by death. Verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Just think about all of, the, all of the joy that this child's life had brought into this home, this home that for so long had been characterized by disappointment and discouragement, unfulfilled longing. Here comes this child bringing so much joy into this home, but then unexpectedly, one day, the child dies. The, the curse that we live under it means that not only do things in this world not work the way that they're supposed to, it also means that eventually all of us are going to die. Whenever any life comes into this world, there's so much joy and happiness and hope, but there's on the horizon this looming cloud of death and darkness. And the question is not when, or the question is not if it will come. The question is when. But check out what this mother did. Verse 21. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, right? This apartment that she created for Elisha. She puts him in there, shuts the door, and goes out. Verse 22. And she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither a new moon nor a Sabbath. Like, why are you going to church today? It's a Tuesday, right? Like verse 24. So she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God out Mount Carmel. 
When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Well, why is she saying that? It's not really true. Well, she's saying it probably because she, she wants to, she's trying to blow off Gehazi. She doesn't want to talk to Gehazi. She wants to talk to Elisha, the prophet himself. Verse 27, when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she took hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. Verse 28, then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I say, do not deceive me? Verse 29, he said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. Lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Elisha was trying to delegate this task to his servant. And the woman says, no, you're not, right? I'm not letting you delegate this. You're coming to my house right now to help my son. Verse 32, when Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying on the bed. Verse 33, so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and laid on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child became warm. It's almost as if he's trying to transfer life from his body to the body of the child. Verse 35, when he got up and walked once again and forth, back and forth in the house, went up, stretched himself upon him, the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, I'll call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. An incredible story, right? An incredible miracle. But what does this mean for us? Isn't that the question? Well, that brings us to the last part of our sentence, which is this. Our lives on earth are tainted by barrenness and death, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has brought us the cure for the curse. Look, maybe some of you read this story and you say, Wow, amazing. That's a great miracle. I'm glad that this happened. Good for them. I'm glad they got their son back. But how does this story help me? Maybe there are some of you who have struggled with infertility. You've wanted to have children, but it hasn't happened for you. And you read this story and you're like, well, that's great for them, right? I'm glad that they got a son and all that. But I've been praying for a really long time and God hasn't answered my prayers. Maybe some of you, you, you look at this and you've had a loved one who got sick and passed away and you prayed for healing. You prayed for a miracle. Maybe you even prayed for a resurrection, but you didn't get one. And as you read this story, you can't help but feel like, well, good for them, but what does this do for me? Well, friends, let me show you what this does for us because it's good and it's true. Here's what it says. Listen, this story isn't just here to tell you about something cool that happened in the past. Do you understand that? This story isn't just here to tell you about something great that happened in the past. This story is recorded here for us. Why? Because this is a picture of what God wants to do for you in your life. Here's an important principle. This will help you as you study the Bible. Okay, guys, as you're reading the Old Testament, maybe you say, I don't always get the Old Testament. It's 
hard and full of weird stories. Here's a principle for you to follow that will help you. For every Old Testament story, there's a New Testament principle. For every Old Testament story, there's a New Testament principle. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 24? He opened the scriptures to them and he showed them how all of the things in the Old Testament pointed to and foreshadowed and ultimately testified to him. So on the one hand, this story is recorded because it really happened. But on the other hand, this story is also recorded because it's a picture of what God wants to do in your life through Jesus. Listen, just like this woman, all of our lives are tainted by barrenness and death. Everything in this world is broken. Everything in this world has an expiration date, including us. But you might ask, if God loves us, then why does he let it be this way? If God loves us, then why doesn't he fix it? Why doesn't he do something about it? Friends, that is the good news of the gospel, that God loves you and he has done something about it. Look at what Jesus said in the gospel of John chapter 11, at the gravesite of somebody else. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How is it possible, guys? How is this possible? That if you believe in Jesus, then even though you die, you will live. Well, here's why. Here's how it's possible. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, here's what it says, that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ, he lived a holy life, but he was taken and he was nailed to a cross and he was killed. Not because of anything he did wrong. He was crucified and killed according to the plan of God. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, something was happening that couldn't be seen with human eyes. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was taking our curse upon himself. He was being accursed in our place so that we could be healed and cured from the curse of sin and death. This thing that Jesus did in taking our curse, it was actually prophesied. It was foretold for hundreds, even thousands of years beforehand, before it took place. I want to show you a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus hung on the cross. It promised that one day God would send a Savior who would take our curse by suffering and dying in our place. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. What that's saying is that because of what Jesus did, we can be cured from the curse. He took our curse so that we could be cured. That's the promise. That's the hope of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. It's the good news that God loves you so much that he didn't just stand by and let this happen. He didn't just stand by and watch you suffer and languish in frustration and disappointment for all of your life and then just die. Instead, he came and he did something. Jesus became a curse for you so that you could be cured from the curse of sin and death. And here's what I want to show you. I want you to check this out. If you're looking in your Bible, feel free to open there. It's there on the screen. You know what it says right after that passage, right? That was Isaiah 53. 
that talks about what Jesus would do for us on the cross, taking our curse so that we could be saved. But look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 54, that because of what the Savior would do for us, here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. It says, therefore, sing, O barren woman, the one who did not bear, break forth in singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of, the, of her who is married, says the Lord. The news of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, taking our judgment, right, so we could be forgiven, so we could be made right with God, so we could be healed from the curse of sin and death. This is such good news that it would cause even a barren woman to sing and shout for joy. A barren woman considered to be the most cursed person, right? The, the worst fate in life. God says, even that person. This is such good news that it would make even a barren woman sing and shout for joy and be glad. Notice it's not promising that the barren woman is now going to have children in this life. No, what it promises her is that God is doing something, giving something that is better than having all the children in the world. Right? The promise of the gospel is that because of what Jesus did by living a holy life, by dying a sacrificial death, by overcoming death in victory through his resurrection, because of that, you can be cured from the curse of sin and death. And if you put your faith in him and what he did for you, then although this body that you live in now may one day die, you will be resurrected to new life and eternal life in him. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a baptism. And this is what baptism is a picture of. It's a picture of rebirth, new life, resurrection, resurrection spiritually now, and the hope of resurrection that is to come for eternal life. It took a miracle for this woman's barrenness to be healed. It took a miracle for this child to be raised from the dead. And the same is true for you and me. It takes a miracle for us to be healed and cured from the curse of sin and death. And the good news of the gospel is that God has done this miracle for us in Jesus. And what is left is for you to trust in and rely on and cling to what Jesus has done for you. When you have this hope, this hope of eternal life, this hope of the gospel, let me tell you what it does in your life. No matter what difficulties you face, no matter what hardships, no matter what disappointments you face, you can sing for joy knowing that Jesus has taken away your sins. And what that means is that the disappointments you face in this life, they are momentary. They're momentary. It means that the joys of this life are not momentary. They're actually foreshadowings of the good that is to come, the greater things that await you in eternity forever. This hope, you know what it does when you have this hope? It sets you free in this life. It sets you free. It sets you free to live unencumbered, knowing what is to come, knowing that there is this amazing God who loves you. You can serve him freely because you know what is coming. It sets you free to live in service of other people rather than just serving yourself so that they too can come to know this joy and hope that comes from being cured from the curse through Jesus. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.